Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, the word of the day, this isn't wordle word, this is our word of the day, though it is five letters, is booty. That's mm-hmm. right. B-O-O-T-Y. Booty. Yep. Shout, shout out to Brian Holland, who tweeted out the clip of asking Keishon Booty. That's right, Keishon Booty, how to actually pronounce his last name. So on this podcast, we will be talking about booty a whole lot. Very pro-booty podcast, I feel. The proest of all the booty podcasts, I think. Mm-hmm. We have to be. I don't know that the nickname for fans has a ton of potential booty bunch. Other than that, I don't know that we need to really <laughs> dig into all the different booty nicknames. That's what I texted Connor yesterday. I was saying all my nicknames are shot because I was thinking it was going to be Booty Boys, but Booty Boys doesn't work the same. Potentially, we could play like Miss New Booty when he scores, but that's all I got right now. Shut up, Opa Sparks, of course. The finest. Who could forget? Mm-hmm. Also, Booty is the word of the day because uh, I think that's about how Big Ten fans – well, no, I shouldn't say Big Ten fans. That's how SEC fans feel about – the Big Ten stealing the SEC on CBS theme song. I know it's not SEC on the CBS theme song. They play it for all the other football games that they play on CBS. They've had it for more than the current rights deal. I know. I understand that. But even as a Big Ten graduate, I threw up a little bit in my mouth when I saw CBS Sports tweet out that video for Big Ten's future montage. It made mm-hmm. me sick. Seeing that music with Big Ten football instead of SEC football, it's never going to feel right. I'm sorry. It. 10 years from now, I'm still not going to be fully used to that. That That is just going to be a very difficult transition. It's like when uh, FS1 stole the, the NBC, what is it, Hardball? Uh, mm-hmm. I, I can't remember the theme song. You know what, what I'm talking about. Yeah, but if you yeah, yeah. NBC, NBA and NBC, growing up as a child of the 90s and now seeing that in FS1, you're like, come on, what are, what are we really doing here? That's, that's essentially the equivalent of this. Oh, by the way, buried the lead there. The Big Ten's media deal is official. More than $7 billion. <laughs> That's crazy. Crazy mm-hmm. when you look at it in the landscape of how it compares to professional sports, all those different contracts. And that's essentially the way that they've lined this up with every major non-ESPN network involved in this new contract for the Big Ten. We've still got two more years of SEC on CBS, even though the Big Ten contract starts with CBS in 2023, which is going to be awkward. Kind of mm-hmm. like the the person who's been living in the house for 30 years is going to be moving out and they're like, oh yeah, you can come, you know, occupy a room, just hang out here for a little bit. And it's a little bit like Michael and D'Angelo Vickers when Will Ferrell in, in the office when he's yeah. trying to take over. And it's just, just that awkward transition. But uh, that deal with CBS, the Big Ten has signed and agreed to will go exclusive in 2024 it's it's a really smart deal, but it's it's really weird. And yeah, booty is how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah. So for my day job, I work in television. And so I've been a lot of people have been asking me about all of the right stuff. And a lot of the stuff I've been like, you know, more 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 on the ball than most people just because I've seen these rights negotiations happen kind of in real time. And this is the one that I'm just like, because people are like, oh, here's the Big Ten deal. Like, what happens next? I'm just like, I couldn't tell you. Because logic would s- suggest that the SEC could probably do better. But if that money is already spoken for, you know, in that budget, then it's hard to say where that's going to come from. So I think now it's going to be on Greg Sankey, who obviously is a SEC fans, we think is batting almost a 1,000 uh, when it comes to these type of things. But this is probably the only thing that 
uh, the Big Ten has done that, you know, we have collectively kind of been like, oh, oh, they've gotten something figured out here almost ever, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and the SEC was way behind because of the, the CBS contract was the biggest right. bargain in sports was $50 million for, for those games, which is just insane to think about in this right. day and age of TV rights. So that's kind of why we've gotten to this point and why the, 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 the different networks that are now working for the Big Ten have kind of all said, all right, this is this is worth it. The Big Ten has the ability to 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 improve this contract, which is nuts if they continue to expand, which come out today and say, that's going to be a part of it. So a lot of things are changing as we always say in this podcast, change is scary. It's Mm -hmm. daunting seeing that theme song with big 10 football laced as the B roll. It's just going to be weird. And we're going to all just be forced to deal with it. But that big, that big game feel is going to, to be with the Big Ten with that music automatically because you cannot tell me that those drums dropping don't matter to a certain extent. They do. They just do. And I'll never close my eyes and picture Big Ten football when I hear those. I just yeah. Won't. I mean, growing up in the South, it's I mean, it's, it's been two sides of the same coin, right? It's just you know, me as an LSU fan going into this game feeling good about your team, knowing that like, oh, everyone's gonna watch us beat the brakes off of Auburn or whoever. Or the other side of it is, ah, we got Alabama this week. Everyone's about to watch us get wrecked. <laughs> and so, because that, because whatever you have, usually, you, you know, Alabama plays a lot that time. So, and so you, it, sometimes it's just your turn and you hear those drums and you're like, here it comes. But either way, it's impactful in either direction, you know? Yeah. And when you're one of these programs that that's Arkansas, Kentucky, where you go years without having that 330 on CBS matchup, Mizzou outside of, you know, Black Friday, though that carries a different kind of weight and i don't know that it's a guarantee at all that espn and abc will have that same sort of feel for that 330 slot and it's looking like great cool the sec is going to get to own that that time slot the way that it's going to work throughout the day i've seen it thrown out there a bunch of times how's it going to relate to the big 10 big 10 schools hosting college game day i don't particularly think that's going to be a deal breaker. I think that they still want to provide unbiased coverage. Mm-hmm. I think they still want to be at whatever the best game for them is. And obviously, anytime they snub a Big Ten game, though, moving forward, that's going to be the issue is we're going to be like, oh, SEC hey, the bias. Is- that's yeah. the best part of all this, by the way, is that Big Ten fans are still going to be whining about ESPN having SEC bias. like <laughs> Which is it's, comical. It's, it's, right. it's absolutely comical. And meanwhile, the Big Ten gets this contract, even though – last seven years it's got one playoff win that's it right but it doesn't always come down to that and that's what the, these negotiations are kind of a reminder of it does matter your rutgers your maryland your indiana you're getting this 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 check yep. and you are in a great position because of the leadership and that's what the sec is now tasked with doing moving forward mm-hmm. okay great show lined up we've got our guy gary stoken from the peach bowl he is going to Join us in a little bit, talk about the Georgia-Oregon showdown, some other things, some future matchups. You know I love throwing the hypothetical matchups at Gary, one of my favorite things that I get to do. So Mm -hmm. we get to see kind of his take on that. Uh, We've got a Heisman Trophy edition of Bold and Brash. We'll close out with Lad of the Week. But first, teased it twice. It's finally (laughs) here. Crystal Ball Week. It is upon us. Eh, Call it Crystal Ball Week, even though we're going to be going into next week with this. But we're talking about the West today. Mm-hmm. I love crystal ball season for those of you who are new. First of all, thank you. 
You've picked the right podcast to come to. You really have. Uh, the Crystal Ball is predicting every single game involving an SEC team. Anybody can just throw out random predictions. Oh, I think this team's going to be 8-4. I think this team's going to be 9-3. Well, did you go through the entire schedule and tell me right. which team's going to be then 5-7? and seven? Because that's what you have to do if you're going to make record predictions. By the way, articles for each SEC West team are up on SaturdayDownSouth.com. Go check those out. We've got the West this week. We've got the East next week. So that is how we will do this today. I'll go through my West standings. We'll talk some pivotal games, some key upsets, some key storylines, and just the way that we think everything is going to shake out. Will, are we ready? Yes. All right. In first place, I've got Bama 12-0, 8-0 in conference play. In second place, the Hogs of Arkansas, 9-3, 5-3 in SEC play. A&M at 8-4. Yeah, of course. Uh, four of four. all the pushback I've gotten for all the jokes I've told, we'll ladies to and gentlemen, you see it right here. This boy has Texas A&M going 8-4. I just want to say that. Yep. <laughs> in fourth, Mississippi State, 8-4. and 4-4 four. Four and four in SEC play. In fifth, Ole Miss, 8-4. and 4-4 four. Four and four in SEC play. You're sensing a trend here. In sixth... LSU at seven and five, three and five in SEC play. I did not wake up and choose violence today. And bringing up the rear, Auburn, six and six, two and six in SEC play. Okay. I tip my hand on the fact that I think there's really not a significant gap between teams two through six. And I'm even willing to say there's not much of a gap between two through seven if Auburn's passing game has a pulse. Okay. Willing to admit that. Here, even though you look at these standings, nobody wants to see that they're finishing, oh, maybe fifth, maybe sixth in the division. I think the average person would see that and say, LSU at sixth? And then I would respond to that by saying, well, I have LSU beating Tennessee at home. I have them winning at AM to end the season. So how bad of a season is that really? I don't know. And then some would be like, whoa, Arkansas all the way up at number two. But I have... Arkansas losing three games in the division, one of which being to Auburn, another being to Mississippi State, and then a game to Bama. So that that's a good segue to the upsets that I have, of which I think there are plenty, in my opinion, depending on how much you're high on one team over another. But don't have anybody beating Bama in the regular season. Took a year off from doing that for some crazy reason. Um, I do have Auburn beating Arkansas. I think that would be considered an upset based on especially the way that I have them projected the number seven team in the West beating the number two team in the West LSU beating A&M in college station to close out the regular season, given what many people are saying about A&M coming into this year. Although it feels like there's only pushback with A&M. It doesn't, I, I I'm struggling to find people that are actually banging the drum for A&M as like a top four, top five team. I think it's just everybody who has an AP vote. Other than that, I just don't know who it is. I really don't. Well, it's probably one of those, like, kind of like with the Heisman, how, like, Trevor Lawrence ended up, like, second that one year. It's yeah. like you just have enough top ten votes that you eventually just kind of get risen up to fifth. Yeah, yeah. It, it is strange to see the way that that has played out and how much pushback there has been from those criticizing polls, like myself, because that's what we do. I have LSU beating Tennessee and Baton Rouge, like I said. Maybe not an obvious upset. That's probably going to be closer to a pick even though I do have, spoiler alert, I have Tennessee finishing second in the East, which we will get to next week. Mm-hmm. But, and Will, you will shake your head at this, I can promise you. I also have both Mississippi schools going into LSU and winning in Baton Rouge. Hmm. I don't know the last time that's happened. 
because it didn't happen in 2014, right? We didn't have Ole Miss playing at LSU in 2014, or did we? So that was the 10-7 game, I believe, or like the 14-10 game with uh, Bo Wallace. Ah. Uh, yeah. So I believe, I don't think they've switched schedules, so they should have been, because I, I remember they had a couple of big um, wins against Freeze. But yeah, um, I'm going to the Mississippi State game. It's on my birthday. So <laughs> you always do that. <laughs> hopefully, yeah, hopefully that won't be the case. I think they'll split the Mississippi's. I'm I'm pretty much, I, I don't hate this list at all. I, that's the only thing I would change is I think they'll split the Mississippi schools. I think being swept by the state of Mississippi would cause us to throw Brian Kelly into the like poncho train but uh <laughs> yeah. i think that uh yeah no i i like we always talk like exactly like you said opening up and as we're seeing you know lsu kind of gets the brunt of this but you know to, to move somebody up you're going to move somebody down and yeah. you look at all these teams and it's like love arkansas love mississippi state love Ole Miss. so it's just it's the hardest division in college football history and it doesn't look like it's getting any easier if you think i'm too low on your specific team seriously go through play out yep. the schedule not just for your team play out everybody every, everybody yeah. And I promise you, you'll you'll look up and you'll be saying to yourself, wow, I thought I was way higher on this team. And I can't believe I only have them winning seven games or something like that. Also have Mississippi State winning the Egg Bowl on the road, that game in Oxford, just for the simple fact that sometimes you – and when, when we do these crystal balls, I try and really do somewhat of an X and o, X's and O's breakdown of how I can see a certain matchup playing out. If I have major questions about a certain team's offensive line, I feel like, Hey, they can be overpowered. Then I'm going to talk about that. I think they're not going to be able to stop a team's ground game, whatever. But then there are other times when I just say, you know what? I don't think Mike Leach is going to start off. Oh, and three in egg bowls. I just don't. <laughs> so that's yeah. what I, I, I kind of come back to that. Even though I could make the case, that if we're talking about an on-paper matchup, Mississippi State's run defense containing what Ole Miss does best this year, which is run the ball, um, I, I think I could see that playing out. And I think Ole Miss kind of struggles with depth after a really promising start. So Ole Miss, what a roller coaster this would be if it played out the way that I have. And I'm not the first person to kind of point this out. The schedule sets up for just a, a bananas ride. I have Ole Miss starting 8-0. Mm -hmm. getting into the top five on Halloween weekend against AM. In those first eight games, Ole Miss has one game against a Power 5 team that had a winning record last year, and it's a home game against Kentucky. That's it in the first eight. Okay, back four, <laughs> real tough, <laughs> really, really tough. It's going to be a constant topic of conversation. How good is Ole Miss really? Are they just benefiting from their schedule, which we don't often say about an SEC West team late into October, but that could play out if we think these teams are going to, you know, if these teams ultimately perform how we're projecting them to. But I obviously have Ole Miss losing those final four games, which at AM, home against Bama, at Arkansas, home against Mississippi State. Those are going to be four rock-solid defenses down the stretch, and I worry that the Ole Miss depth is going to be tested. I know all the things they did in the transfer portal. I still have some questions about what it's going to look like with those pieces on the back end. I think they're going to be in some obvious throwing situations, which is going to be the biggest difference between this year's Ole Miss team and last year's Ole Miss team is that they don't have the passing game to get bailed out of those situations. Even though I've, I've said, look, I think Luke Altmaier is going to be the starter, whether it's Luke Altmaier, whether it's Jackson Dart, I just think that they're going to have some struggles 
in those moments. And they're going to lean a lot more on that ground game, which should be the foundation. I mean, Ole Miss had a great ground game last year. We talked about, could they be the number one rushing attack in the country? The quote from Zach Evans, I don't think that they're capable of being that, but I think they will be darn good running the football. This is a really chaotic start to the year for Ole Miss. First off, starting with your, your three at a conference games, you were talking about, listen, who am I to discount Troy at a conference? Uh, Amen. <laughs> Georgia Tech is another one that it's like, historically, you just never knew what you're going to get with them lately. A lot of three-win years, uh, but I'm sure when that Only was scheduled. Only three-win years. Only three-win years. Yeah. But I'm sure when that was scheduled, they were probably a different program. And then Tulsa. Tulsa is another one that can be described as like the best four-win team ever. Like you see some of their highlight. What's yes. up? Yes. So, okay. I'm, I'm so glad you hit on that. Tulsa last year played three top 10 teams to mm-hmm. a one score game in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Ohio State, Oklahoma State, Cincinnati, all were in a one score game in the fourth quarter against Tulsa, right? Yes. So don't sleep on that one. You're exactly right to point that out. Better than the record would suggest, but I think they're bottom of the barrel last I checked in percentage of returning production. So that's a little bit tougher. Yeah, Tulsa has snuck up on UCF twice during their run. Yes. Weirdly, they're like the one like bane of UCF too. So they're just super chaotic. So yeah, but you're right. It's like you kind of Kentucky is another team really that you can coin flip and it's like, are we getting good Kentucky or bad Kentucky? Because they could whoop bad Kentucky. Good Kentucky might come in there and hold you know 15 points or whatever. But that's a number I just made up. But anyway, so point being, yeah, I think the beginning of their schedule is going to be wild, but like the end is going to be very difficult. So Ole Miss is a very always, especially with Lane. Lane's such a perfect coach to entertainment wise to go through this because he could be very mercurial. They can be very mercurial. I'm very. I think eight no would be among the more chaotic outcomes just because it would show Lane and the state of Mississippi having consistency. Really, yes, and I think eight no. <laughs> Which that's what you want. That if if you're a program that has struggled for a long period of time to have consistency, legal consistency, not cheating consistency, um, then this is a floor season that would be fantastic. If Ole Miss ends the regular season by earning a, a bowl berth in Florida, even if it means losing four regular season games to end the season, which again, this is just my projection. There's no guarantee it plays out that way. That, in my opinion, would still be okay. That's fine. Mm-hmm. You can work with that. Lane just showed us you can overhaul a roster with the portal. What's it going to look like when he gets his own guys in there consistently? And it's more of like, hey, we feel like we've been building towards this. We have a lot of returning experience back. So they are a big unknown with all those portal pieces. But so that's why it was strange to put them at eight and no to start because of their reliance on that. And maybe that'll blow up in my face. They have their first loss coming on the road, AM. Eight oh, so you have them. Yeah, you have them eight and oh, and then oh and four. That would be awesome. I'm actually rooting for that. Well, I said that like eight different times during this segment, and that is when you react to that. Listen, I was trying to remember if Tulsa was the team I was thinking of, and they were. So you're welcome. All right. You had the eight and oh covered. All right. Yes. Okay. All right. So their first loss being to AM. AM eight and four hits differently. It just does. Yeah. We know that. Okay. Or the, the same, jokes- some would argue. Yeah, it's the same over and over, and we get more comparisons of Jimbo Fisher to Kevin Sumler. I have losses to Arkansas, Alabama, Florida, LSU. I should have had Florida beating A&M in College Station as one of those big upset games, but I've actually seen that in a couple different places, so maybe I wasn't prompted to to say that, but I actually do think that's going to be Billy Napier's like first big-time road victory. Um, mm-hmm. would be a prime letdown spot for AM because it would be right after the old miss game. Big emotional win. Could have college game day in the house. Who knows? Uh, you think Florida is probably going to be like a touchdown underdog on the road. 
it's so hard to tell with these year one coaches sometimes. But AM, young defensive line, I bet they struggle to get pressure on Anthony Richardson. He delivers one of the top individual performance of the SEC season to date. And AM runs into a Florida team that looks much better than the team that they were at the start of 2022. Talked about that potential rough start that they could have. And we'll get to more of that in the East Crystal Ball. If AM goes eight and four, we want to be on record saying Jimbo's not going anywhere. Okay. <laughs> Please, please, if you take nothing from this part of the podcast, Jimbo Fisher is not going anywhere. And I've got 86 million reasons why that's the case. Okay. Listen, yeah, if Jimbo gets fired, it's going to affect our national inflation rate. So I promise you, you don't want that. Yeah. I don't don't know who's covering that check, but uh, outside of a coup, it ain't happening. Okay, Mm -hmm. It's it's just not. Now, if we want to talk about whether or not this sets up well for their championship window, 2023 2024 then that's a little bit of a different discussion and and what jimbo is going to be able to do with the quarterback position but regular season win total like over under set at eight and a half you know it's not it's not an a&m fans might be thinking or those on the outside might be thinking oh you have to go 10 and 2 this year or what or what (laughs) what are you gonna do Yeah. So like this season on the brink feel that that some have kind of dubbed with A&M just because Jimbo clapped back at Saban is a little bit ridiculous. And that kind of lacks some context. It's like you can go eight and four again and you're still probably going to be having the same conversation next year because as as we were watching this year, eight and four last year, and they're still number six in the country to start the year. So this sounds made up, but you okay? seriously, serious question. Do you think that the Saban beef potentially increased Texas A&M's preseason ranking? No, because it was that high coming in. I mean, it was yeah. that high. We were talking about all these way too early polls, and I, I said it from the jump. I'm like, man, people are putting A&M at three or four? Oh. What, what are we doing here? What are what are we paying attention to? Are we trying to write a storyline just because a team hasn't won a national title since 1939? Are we trying to make Jimbo Fisher still a thing in a, in a way that he hasn't been post Florida mm-hmm. State, I, I mean, I, obviously 2020 was great. I gave AM its praise. Don't give AM its praise if, if it rises above expectations this year. If AM goes 11 and one and has this season that does indeed live up to all of this hype that you've been promised with that contract with Jimbo Fisher, then I'll be singing your praises. I got no problem doing that. Unlike some in this business, I can actually admit when I'm wrong. <laughs> this is just a projection that we're talking about here. And AM fans are kind of like, yeah, well, we're a little bit of a transition year. Get the offense figured out. Maybe have a starting quarterback who looks like he could be one of the better returners in the SEC next year. Have that recruiting class get some key reps. And then mm-hmm. we'll talk about what that championship window looks like. But this year, no, 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 not, not there. The only thing, and I mean the only thing that could truly change my thinking on that outlook is if Haynes King is a revelation. I didn't say Max Johnson. I said, mm-hmm. if Haynes King is a revelation, not Johnny 2.0, more like Matt Corral. If he can all of a sudden be Matt Corral, which I don't think is is totally unrealistic. I, I don't think that's something that's you know very far off. But a guy who comes into his own, is confident making any throw, can take on any hit, just become that alpha. That changes AM's upside. And suddenly, 
I'm not talking about why the Aggies and their expected defensive regression is going to hold them back. They can overcome that defensive regression if all of a sudden he is a star. That is a huge wild card. Even though I think he can be one of the X factors in this conference, that is still entirely unknown. And I don't think Jimbo's track record suggests that that is imminent. So that's why I'm not there yet with AM. That's why, yes, I have him at eight and four. Okay. Really quick on there. I, I think I've said this before, but uh, their game with Miami is going to be a real interesting like tone setter for them. Uh, I personally think they're going to lose to Miami. I, I like what mm. Miami's bringing back, but their their schedule, you know, they have Miami and then Arkansas right after, then Mississippi State at Mississippi State and then at Bryant Denny. So that's a pretty hellish four weeks when you think about, you know, preparing for a Miami then preparing for an Arkansas, then preparing for Mississippi State. Like, I know I keep saying it, but they're all just different schemes. It's, even if they weren't talented teams, which they all are, like Alabama is before their off date. So it's like they could get bad early for them and then they can kind of come out of the year, you know what I'm saying, on a high note and get ready. get Because like you said, the story for them is Jimbo needs to survive, like AKA not win six games to keep that recruiting class going because that recruiting class is the thing that could potentially deliver them to a title. The one that came is coming in as freshman this year. Yeah. Of course. Absolutely. And that's what this is all about. And you, for for all that we talked about with whether or not this this class is going to be able to to live up to, to that, that sort of hype and, and can deliver what Aggie fans have been waiting for, it's still about having a head coach who knows how to win these big time games. That's what mm-hmm. this is going to come down to. Jimbo Fisher can win a couple of those a couple of those surprise games this year, which they're there on the schedule. And look, I, I'd be surprised if A&M beat Arkansas. I would. I, I watched last year what Barry Odom did to a new starter in Jimbo Fisher's offense, and it wasn't pretty. And I, I think Barry Odom's defense can have a really similar impact this year, whether it's Max Johnson, whether it's Haynes King. And I think that could be the case again. So I just have more questions with them. And there's no secret about that. I've talked about A&M enough this offseason. <laughs> Other things. Arkansas has the toughest non-conference schedule without a power five opponent of any I've ever seen. <laughs> and we're talking about Notre Dame, like it's a power five team. So don't, don't do the thing where you tell me that Notre Dame is not power five. They are Cincinnati, BYU, Missouri state with Petrino and then Liberty with you freeze top to bottom. It is so good. It is so, so good. You just gave me a look like you forgot that Bobby Petrino's at Missouri state and they're a top five FCS team. Okay, I didn't hear Missouri. I knew, I knew it was somewhere. I just forgot it was Missouri State. Okay, cool. Sorry, I had to like pull up this. Yeah, again, just an insane. <laughs> Cincinnati, Hugh Freeze. Yep, got it. Wow, this is good. Cake week? Come on, bro. We're, we're saying these names out loud, and we're like, these are all sound like really good games. Right? If neck brace isn't trending every single day of Petrino week, we've done something wrong. Oh, yes. That needs to be the case. If they get out of that 4-0, that is nothing to scoff at at all. Even though they might be favored for all of those games, they could be a slight favorite on the road against BYU, a team that I, I really like and love love the fact that they have so much production back from a team that kind of overachieved last year. I think that trip up to Provo is going to be really difficult when you've got all those 25-year-olds that you're dealing with on BYU's <laughs> roster. But yeah, going I, to I, bed sharply at 7 p.m. and just whooping your butt that morning. <laughs> yep, it's a difficult thing. They they kiss their wives goodbye and then it, it's off she wrote. By the, the way, seven I didn't children. Mean to, just uh, yeah. All right, we'll move fast. We'll move fast. <laughs> I said wives plural. I didn't necessarily mean it in that way. You get what I'm saying. Um, I, I still like the Hogs to go to a New Year's Six Bowl at nine and three. I think that path is there, and 
some of that can come down to quality of wins. Sometimes you get in at nine and three. Sometimes you don't. If you lose three games against your own division, maybe they'll hold that against you. We'll wait and see how some of these these wins age. I think that game against Bama is going to be just fantastic. I really do. I think that they will host at Arkansas college game day for the first time since 2006 when Bumper Pool is a sophomore. That's happening. Good for him getting his doctorate in Arkansas. I did ask. I tell you that that I asked him what it was like when Darren McFadden was there. I love that. <laughs> hey, he is getting the maximum out of that scholarship, buddy. He'll know every hallway in that building. 25-year-olds in college football. It's the mm-hmm. story of the 2022 season. They're they're everywhere, man. Watch out for them. Although Bumper Pool is like 22, I think. I, don't know, he's not I, I think we should just pick. This is showing me that, like, you know, oh, the record, but whatever. Every five years, we should just pick a year that doesn't count because this is rad. There's so many yes. good quarterbacks. There's so many good teams. Offensive linemen are just like. Full beard, burly man, 26 years old. I'll, I'll take this forever. It's fine. That's the way to do it. The COVID year has created this for us. Um, so I think that is going to be Bama's toughest regular season game, the game at Arkansas. I don't think Arkansas pulls off the upset and wins, but it could be a game in which Bama is in a spot like it was in last year where it has to score late. The stat that we always bring up six of their eight SEC games last year were one score games in the fourth quarter. That mm-hmm. will be another one, in my opinion. Um, Jameer Gibbs, I think will be the difference. There's part of me that wonders about that though, about Alabama 12 and And if there's any point in this year where we say, huh, Maybe we should have talked more about Bama going four and one in those one score games last year. And if there was perhaps some regression to the mean, that's not my way of saying, I think it's going to be 2010 all over again. I'm not predicting a 10 and three season or anything like that. Okay. We're not doing, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. But I, I do kind of wonder if we have a moment at all where we say Bama performed really well in those close games. They played with fire a lot and they were not exactly dominant to get to a national championship. And even though so many people freaked out when Saban called a rebuilding year, there were a lot of times when Bama had to figure things out on the fly. And they're like, Mm -hmm. all right, we're not getting any sort of push from our offensive line against LSU. What are we going to do? Oh, crap. We can't score at all against Auburn. And it doesn't even matter that TJ Finley's out there with one leg. What are we going to do? Because we're going to have to drive 98 yards in a minute. Like, Mm -hmm. this is this is who Bama had to become to get to where it was in 2021. And obviously I think it'll be different in 2022, but the road games are no joke. They, they really aren't. I mean, at Texas, a team with a number one vote in the coaches poll. So can't sleep on them at Arkansas, at Tennessee, at LSU, at Ole Miss. We're projecting all those teams to go to bowl games. I would say all of those teams should be power five teams who win seven games. Power five teams with winning records, and you're having to face all of them on the road. Not easy. Not an easy thing to do. The issue, though, and the reason that I don't have Alabama getting tripped up in any one of those games is because I think four of those five secondaries, Arkansas being the one that isn't, uh, I don't think they have a snowball's chance in, in hell of stopping Young and those pass catchers. Or if teams want to drop eight into coverage, I think Jameer Gibbs is going to run all over those teams. So, that's kind of where I get a little bit hung up on predicting one of those potential upsets there, though I'm sure many people who fill these things out and they don't want to put Bama 12 and 0, they're just going to pick that one random game. They're going to say, ah, here's why. Here's why I'm doing this. I get it. Totally get it. I think Bama will have the division clinched after beating Ole Miss on November 12th. I think Brian Harson gets fired the same weekend after a loss to AM. 
I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I do. Cause I think he's handled this incredibly well. Mm-hmm. If Brian Harson was just a jerk since February, I'd be like, all right, man, you saw the writing on the wall. He didn't make the proper adjustments. I still think that he should have done more at the quarterback position. We'll see how that plays out this year. And if him taking more control over the offense actually yields a better product, but I still give him a lot of credit for the way that he's handled all this. Took a lot of cojones to stand up there and address things the way that he did, especially at SEC media days, which is the most direct we've ever seen a head coach be in an opening statement. I hope I'm wrong. And Auburn fans, if this does turn into a miracle season, I will sing your praises, okay? You just – we always say the Auburn caveat. It's like, well, Auburn should go 6-6, six and six, but they were ranked, like, what, 36 in 2013 or something? Like, they weren't even I, – I was reading about that the other day. They weren't even – I don't think they were receiving a vote in the preseason, so you just never know. Yeah, how could we not see that Nick Marshall would become this all-SEC quarterback and that he would lead them to a national championship berth? I mean, come on. What, what were we looking at here? How do we not see the writing on the wall on that one? Uh, there was, like – nine maybe 10 quarterbacks who were considered better than him in the sec coming into that year at least right. i didn't do I, by the way you, you won't be able to find this so somewhere somebody just heard me say that and said i wonder if if connor did sec quarterback rankings coming into that year no that was two years before i started with this company that does not exist on the internet you will not cold take me on some nick marshall preseason Listen, ranking 2013 was so long ago that indiana was good okay relax so oh oh <laughs> First of all, are we talking about football? Because they were not good. No, basketball now. Come on. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's just painful because I actually care about that. Listen, but. we got LSU on the board at 7 and 5, and I've been nice all day. You have uh, been. You I woke just, up and chose, chose violence today, Will. I just, yeah. on that note, I want to say, uh, <laughs> so we have three teams in a row here that have never beaten Nick Saban, right? We have Tennessee, Arkansas, Mississippi State. But who has beaten Nick Saban, you may ask? The ULM Warhawks. Yes, a revenge game for Nick Saban. I cannot wait for him to beat them by 56 and be like, yeah, yeah, y'all thought y'all had the best of me. Well, guess what? (laughs) Guess what? what? That's going to be the ultimate bulletin, boys. This is why you don't get complacent, boys. We got to have, you got to sell the score against ULM this year, finally, all right? Look at all the flashbacks. They've definitely played ULM since then, right? That feels like they they have for sure. I don't know. I, Does, they have one of the Bowdens is over there too. Anyway, yeah, Terry, Terry Bowden's there, but no longer a Rich Rod offense, unfortunately. Yes, sad. Just too bad. We got we got a little bit of life out of that last year. Uh, a good old Rich Rod sideline blow up is Chef's Kiss. That's the content I need. My noon kickoff, my noon sleepy kickoff. I, I need that in my life. We're not going to be able to get that. Maybe Bobby Petrino. Hey, that game against Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Mark it on your calendar. It's going to be great. So to recap. Here's how I have this playing out, standings-wise. Bama, 12-0, 8-0 in the SEC. Arkansas, 9-3, 5-3 in SEC play. A&M at 8-4. Of course, you already know, 4-4 four four in SEC play. Mississippi State, also 8-4 overall, 4-4 four four in SEC play. Ole Miss, 8-4 overall, 4-4 four four in SEC play. LSU, 7-5 overall, 3-5 in SEC play. And then Auburn at 6-6 six six overall, 2-6 in SEC play. Will, any other thoughts on that? Um, so I know you were kind of circling that Arkansas game um, and you talked about kind of bucking the trend of, you know, picking a loss every year for Alabama going against that this year. Uh, I just want to get your thoughts on, you know, what the most likely upsets would be for Alabama. I, I know you touched on that, but uh, in terms of, you know, you know, A&M, we always think about Arkansas is a good one. Are there any more like under the radar games that you think could be a little bit more interesting than people are giving them credit for? Um. It's hard to picture Mississippi State after the way that last year played out. 
Right. And that was that was a game that, that Mississippi State had Charles Cross. And they just lined up Will Anderson on the opposite side. I'm like, okay, we'll just let you go to work. <laughs> you have one good offensive lineman. Well, bad news, buddy. You have another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's – I don't really see that one turning around in that sort of way. I haven't seen people say that Tennessee is going to upset Bama. Mm-hmm. Tennessee played well against Bama for a decent chunk of that game. Oh, for uh, at three least quarters, yeah. At least offensively, right? Yeah. It, and that, that was one of those surprising one-score games in the fourth quarter where you mm-hmm. thought coming into the year, surely there's no way. That game in Tuscaloosa. So I don't want to say that that would be an upset pick because it's not. I'm not saying Tennessee's going to beat Bama. I'm saying Tennessee's going to beat Georgia. Again, teaser to the SEC East <laughs> crystal ball that we'll do next week. But that's one that I think there are going to be a few games in which the Bama defense looks mortal. Mm-hmm. Ole Miss... Tennessee, Texas, right? Those are the three that I kind of have circled as the games in which we say, oh, maybe maybe this isn't a vintage Alabama defense, even though they've got like five guys on that group that could easily be all Americans this year and it wouldn't be that particularly surprising. But if you're gonna if you're gonna be able to put up points and hang with Bama, which that's that's gonna be the case, right? Right. I don't really see a whole lot of teams slowing Bama down. Even if their offensive line doesn't drastically improve, it's like, okay, well, we can't run the ball with Jameer Gibbs. We'll just throw it to him. That's fine. We can do mm-hmm. that. We'll use that as an extension of the running game. We'll get him involved. We'll get him his touches. No worries whatsoever. I still think, though, that if you're going to be able to score points against Bama, you're going to be one of these teams that forces everybody to flip on the TV when they're like, hey, Bama's only up a touchdown, middle of the third mm-hmm. quarter. Keep your eye on this one. It's 35 28. You never know. <laughs> You got to have a quarterback that has a little bit of mobility. Got to have somebody that can stretch the field. You got to have somebody in your ear that knows what the hell they're doing. Steve Mm -hmm. Sarkeesian, Josh Heupel, Lane Kippen, those three. That's why I see that playing out that way, though I'm not predicting those teams to upset them. But if I were to say somebody's going to hang around, give Bama a Mm -hmm. really tough game, those are are the ones that would come to mind. Other than that, though, mm, I can't really get there with anybody else. I just can't. I mean, uh, well, unfortunately for us as TV viewers, just because we like good games, I mean, obviously the LSU staff that decided to just be spies for the entire fourth quarter of that game are all gone. And then Derek Mason is gone from Auburn. And you would argue that was probably the best Derek Mason as a DC. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it's like any any positives that you could take away from those two games good point. are gone. So you're, I'm 100% with you. I, I'm, man, as much as Tennessee, you know, they, they can have, you know, it can be a little bit annoying on mine. We are both really bullied for them to be interesting in the upcoming years. Like hype a lot, love hen dog. And the thing is they could set the stage to really create some entertaining SEC football this year, because they, like you said, they could hang with Bama. They could beat Georgia. They could hang with Georgia. Not saying they will do any of these things, but it balls in their court to create some interesting football because without them, those teams are few and far between. They could hang with those two. Derek Hall did have three sacks against Bryce Young last year. He's still there. So, you know what? There you go. The Auburn defensive end who wreaks all sorts of havoc is their best returning defensive player. Maybe he is kind of the key, the constant that they need to to keep Bryce Young at bay. Um, But I'm definitely not banking on that in this year's Iron Bowl when what Auburn hasn't won in Tuscaloosa since a certain Cameron Newton was there. So (laughs) every Auburn stat is just like since Cam Newton. Anyway. Yeah, Auburn hasn't won at Georgia since what 2005? Is that right? Yeah, uh, I, think, I don't know. <laughs> like 17 years. So that's yeah. another one. And that's the other thing. If you're talking, if you're talking about an Auburn miracle season, is, is it going to happen in a year in which they get Bama and Georgia on the road? <sighs> Almost never. Yeah. If you yeah. look, at, we've talked about that. If you look at all those seasons, they're all they're all at Auburn. So yeah. yeah. 
All right, let's kick it to Gary. Always love talking about how these matchups come together, what the future holds for neutral site matchups, the new things that he's trying to do to maintain relevance in this new era that we're that we're upon. Uh, Gary's been coming on the show longer than anybody, which is wild to think about. I mean, even when I did this podcast with John Chris, he would come on. 2017 was the first time we had him on, August of yeah, August of 2017, ahead of Bama, Florida State. So always great to hear from Gary ahead of a fantastic weekend in Atlanta to start the 2022 season. Here is Gary Stokin. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our good friend, Peach Bowl President and CEO, Gary Stokin. Uh, Gary, when we last talked in December ahead of Michigan State Pitt, I could already sense the excitement in your voice talking about the kickoff that we have coming up here between Oregon and Georgia on Saturday. And then you get Clemson, Georgia Tech, little little Labor Day night uh, dessert that that we all get in the college football world. I, I could hear that excitement in your voice. And it's got to be also helpful that for the second consecutive year, you get the defending national champs to kick off their encore season in your game. Come clean and just kind of tell everybody how you rigged the Bama Georgia national championship to kind of get your desired outcome. Well, you know, what's so interesting about that comment, Connor? First off, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. It's always good to speak with you this time of the year because I know, you know, we're a week or two away from college football kicking off. But, um, you know, to have, like you said, two defending national champions playing their first game against ranked opponents, you know, 10 years ago, you wouldn't be able to say that. But since the advent of our kickoff game, we've been able to change the face of college football really on the front side of the season where you now have, you know, Georgia playing Oregon, two top 10 teams. You have uh, Ohio state hosting Notre Dame. You have in week two, Alabama going to Texas you know, prior to the kickoff games, people would schedule FCS, directional schools, you know, the first three games and then get into their conference schedule. So it's really great to have a Georgia, Oregon. And then, you know, on Monday night, as you said, that ACC primetime TV slot, uh, kicking off the ACC schedule with uh, Clemson and Georgia Tech. Um, but we've got three games this year and five of the six teams are all going to be ranked in the top 10 in the country because you're you playoff. the sec yeah. championship on top of that and you got four games in atlanta all uh nine of the 10 teams are all going to be ranked in the top 10 so it's gonna be a great year for college football yeah getting to host that playoff game is always fun i remember 2019 getting to host lsu in oklahoma it just kind of takes on a little bit of a different meaning when you're able to have buzz like that I think LSU just scored again, Connor. Yeah, I know, right? Like, I, I've I've very rarely been at a game. Actually, you know what? I I I've never been at a game like that where it truly you had to remind yourself during the game that this is the college football playoff. It yeah. was unbelievable to watch how uh, methodical they were and how dominant. It just felt it felt very similar to what we saw a few months earlier with with Duke and Alabama. It, yeah. It's just like wow, this is as one sided as it gets. And you know, for the sake of your entertainment, your viewing audience, I hope that's not necessarily the case. I'm sure Georgia fans would disagree. They hope for a nice blowout week one. That matchup was announced at a really interesting time for both programs because it was announced back in August of 2018, long long before the Dan Lanning Georgia reunion storyline was there. That just kind of all developed for you. It, it was actually the start of the Mario Cristobal era for Oregon while U UGA was of course coming off of a national championship appearance. 
Also, right after Oregon AD Rob Mullins took over the, the selection committee chair with college ball playoff, Georgia's an obvious sell right in the backyard. But what was the process to get Oregon on board with this game? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, as you said, Georgia, when Kirby Smart took the head coaching job at Georgia, he said, Gary, I'll play in the Chick-fil-A kickoff games as many times as you'll have us. I bet. <laughs> because being at Alabama, you know, as an assistant coach, he saw the impact that that type of game had on Alabama from a coaching standpoint, recruiting, and ultimately from a CFP uh, perspective. So, you know, we scheduled him in 19 – I'm sorry, in 2022 and 24. So in 24, they'll come back and play Clemson in our Chick-fil-A kickoff games. On the Oregon side, you know, I knew Rob Mullins uh, from, from past when he was in the SEC at Kentucky and followed him out to Oregon. Um, but I went out to Pac-12 media days and uh, I met with Mario and never met him, uh, knew of him. But I said, hey, Mario, I know you're at Alabama with Nick and Kirby. You've played in our Chick-fil-A kickoff games. I got Georgia coming in 22. How would you like to play against uh, Kirby? And he said, oh, man, I love Kirby. And I loved your kickoff games. I saw, you know, the impact it had, in, you know, we were at Alabama. And he said, uh, you know, we're recruiting really well. I think by 22 we'll really be ready, and I'd love to play against Kirby and, and Georgia. And so I went back to Rob Mullins. Rob thought it was a good idea. We negotiated the contract. And now, you know, better lucky than good, right? I mean, we come up with Dan Lanning, who's a defensive coordinator at Georgia. His first game is Oregon against Georgia against his old friend Kirby Smart, you know. And, and then we come up with Bo Nix, who's quarterback to Auburn against Georgia, winds up transferring to Oregon and could be the quarterback to play against Georgia again. So there's so many, you know, stories uh, and, and storylines to this and, and both of them being top 10 as well. So in Oregon, you know, in Utah, probably two of the favorites in the Pac-12, Georgia and Alabama, probably the two favorites in the SEC. So great way to start the season and, uh, and a great way to end the season with number one against number four. I, I joked that Kirby would like to play in Atlanta three times this year. Something's going right if that's happening. One in this game, one in the SEC championship, and one in the semifinal game. So um, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I always think it's really interesting to hear kind of the way you communicate because sometimes you'll reach out to coaches, sometimes you reach out to athletic directors, and it just kind of depends. And if you make that right sell, that's what it's all about because teams like this have options. I mean, Lord knows athletic directors get on the phone. They try and make these matchups happen nine, 10 years in advance. And you're like, well, Hey, I, I want to get a neutral site game going, you know, three, four years from now. And things can change so quickly in that time span. It is kind of wild to think though, that Georgia in Mercedes Benz, since it opened, they're two and four there, like 40% of their losses in the last five years have come in that building. So as much as we talk about, yeah, it'd be a great advantage for Kirby to be playing in his backyard, play three games there this year. Do you, do you ever bring that up in, in meetings with athletic directors or, or coaches that you talk to? Because I imagine there's got to be some resistance from their standpoint to say, why do we want to play Georgia and Atlanta? That seems like an automatic loss. Well, I used to bring it up a lot with Nick Saban at Alabama because they haven't lost in Atlanta ever. Yeah. Well, once they lost once, but, um, uh, you know, when when I talked to uh, President Moorhead recently at Georgia, he said, you know, I look forward to coming to the game, but we really need a win in Mercedes-Benz yeah. Stadium. So even the president is aware of it. Right. 
So, uh, you know, you, you, you look in every one of these games has, it's like your kids. They all have different stories, right? And they're all comprised of different ways you make them happen. Um, but, you know, for the most part, there have been very few times when an AD or a coach would decline the opportunity to play in, the, in a Chick-fil-A kickoff game. So we've been very, very blessed. We've been the leader. We're out in front. You know, we have games through 2025. I know a lot of our other cities don't have games this year. I was going to get to that. Um, yeah, but we're, uh, you know, we've got good games. I mean, Louisville's having a top 10 recruiting class this year and will be ranked top 25. Georgia Tech, you know, Jeff's trying to turn it. Um, and then in 24 with Georgia Clemson, again, there'll be two top five teams again in 24. And then in 25, to have South Carolina against Virginia Tech, the way those two teams are recruiting, I think they'll be top 25 by then. And then uh, a Tennessee-Syracuse matchup with Tennessee really doing well on the recruiting trail. And obviously, Dino's got to win, and Syracuse got to turn around a little bit. But to have games out through 25, and I, I just, you know, when you say smiled last year, I, I smile thinking of 24, where we'll have Georgia Clemson, then we'll have the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl in December, you know, with two top 10 teams. Yeah. In January 6th, we'll have the national championship game. Then in 25, we'll have two Chick-fil-A kickoff games, and then we'll host the semifinal again. So in one calendar year, in 25, we'll host the national championship and a semifinal game, which that's never been done before. And who knows what the, the college football landscape is going to look like after that, if expansion does come in 2026, and then these conversations about host sites, obviously that changes with what we're going to going to be able to put on the calendar officially, which we'll hopefully know within the next year how that's going to play off, and I imagine those conversations will be had. In this specific game, though, you talk about the teams that the programs that have said no to you, which probably i mean it happens to everybody and if it doesn't that means that you're probably not asking enough people to be able to you know come play in your game to kick off the season the sec's won 11 straight <laughs> i mean the last time that sec has lost this game was 10 years ago do you get pushback from non-sec schools who say you're just bringing us here for slaughter man <laughs> well you know it's interesting i didn't know that connor so i appreciate that information but at the end of the day I mean, if you're a competitor, if you're a coach, you're an AD, you know, you want to compete against the best. And at the end of the day, the SEC has been the best. Let's let's tell it the way it is for the last 10 years. You know, they've dominated college football. So um, it's it's a little easier, frankly, for us to get ACC SEC matchup, primarily because they played conference games and they have uh, the AD has four non-conference games to schedule. They typically schedule three of those at home, which gives them seven. They make their budget. They've got one game left, and that's the game we go after. In the case of the Big Ten, the Big 12, and, and the Pac-12, because they played, you know, nine conference games, a little tougher to get them. Right. But we've been successful with Washington, uh, playing in Auburn in 18. We've been successful with Oregon now, playing against uh, Georgia. So we'll go out of, out of the ACC-SEC mix you know, when it makes sense when we get a ranked team like a Washington or Oregon. Speaking of Washington, Doug Peterson, uh, interesting request to have the roof closed for that game to start off the 2018 season against Auburn. 
any weird requests that you got from one of the four coaches that you were dealing with, like Dabo didn't demand in his um, desire to, uh, you know, make everything orange and, you know, something like that, like an, an all orange section or something like that in the stadium. No, no random requests from uh, any of the four coaches that you're going to be working with. No, no one's made any requests this year. And, I, and, and with Chris Peterson, I could understand. Or, yeah, I said, uh, I, I meant Chris, not Doug Peterson. Yeah. Doug's in the NFL. I don't know what yeah, I'm talking about. Chris, uh, you know, obviously in Washington, they don't have the kind of humidity that we have down here. So, and, and he's doing his job as a coach. As a coach, you want to take away as many distractions and keep things as normal and as, as uh, uh, really comparable to the other team as you can. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep the roof closed uh, probably at 3.30 on uh, September 3rd on, you know, ABC and our kick. And then uh, we'll wait and see what the weather's like Monday night, whether we open up for the night game uh, between Clemson and Georgia Tech. But no pushback or anything like that for, for that one. That makes a little bit more sense if it's at night. 3.30 is Yeah, 3.30 could be brutal here, yeah. as you know, living yeah. down south. Uh but uh, yeah, eight o'clock it it cools off a little bit. Yeah, does. definitely does, and can make for a nice a nice little early fall fall evening. Um, right. That that game, Clemson Georgia Tech Labor Day. I noticed that's the last one that you have on the schedule for Monday night, and I know the um, the Virginia Tech South Carolina game is set for for Sunday night in the future. It's a it's a different sell this year because obviously you've got the local draw Georgia Tech you've got Clemson preseason top four team everybody's talking about whether or not they can kind of have that bounce back type season so you, you know there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on, on Clemson and if they get off to a slow start offensively that'll actually have even more people tuning in it's kind of one of those things like when Bama's trailing that's when more people want to watch last year the attendance for that Monday night game wasn't exactly what you, what you would hope for and I know. Maybe some of that is just kind of on the heels of COVID and whatnot. Right. Um, but no more with there being no more Monday night games on the schedule. Are, are you done with Monday matchups or am I just looking too far into that? Maybe it's the possibility of, of playoff expansion that's impacting that. Yeah, it's a good question. And, and typically what we do in a partnership with the ACC, since they own that exclusive time slot in their TV contract with ESPN, you know, we sit down with Michael Strickland and the ACC and say, okay, what makes sense for you guys this year? And if we can help, if we can be, you know, a part of, you know, uh, uh, the kickoff game, being a part of the ACC schedule, we'd like to do that and help you out. Uh, but it needs to be somebody that's close by. Georgia Tech, Clemson are, obviously. Uh, it's a great, you know, Clemson being the favorite. Makes sense for the ACC. And then, you know, Todd Stansbury, Georgia Tech, they could have hosted this game at Bobby Dodd Stadium. But in working with us in the ACC, they said, hey, we'd love to play in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And so they made it part of the Chick-fil-A kickoff game to open the ACC season, which we've never done before. So uh, that's a first as well. But that's typically how we work through the ACC to see if Monday night makes sense. And in some cases, it doesn't. Um, it's, it's a little harder sell, frankly, than Saturday. Because people coming into Labor Day have, you know, they get out of work Friday, there's Saturday, Sunday, Monday off. And that's why we need teams close by yeah. for Monday night. Are you getting a lot of athletic directors who are hesitant to schedule a game anytime over, over the weekend, opening kickoff weekend, because they want to see how the playoff sets up with expansion? You know, as I said, we're, we're done through 25. So, and we did that because, you know, we could schedule it through, 
um, you know, the, the end of the CFP contract, number one. Number two, we did a deal with Mercedes-Benz that long. Number three, we did a deal uh, with Chick-fil-A that long. And then, you know, the, the ADs, I think, because they were looking to expand earlier the CFP playoff than the, the recent vote, they've been scheduling home and homes in the future. Yep. Uh, number one, because I think they believe if there's 12 teams in a playoff, you can lose a tough non-conference game, lose one conference game, and you can still get in with two losses. Obviously, as we know now, there's been no team that has gotten into the playoff in the, in the first eight years with two losses. So um, that's one of the reasons. And I think the other is they're trying to keep their season ticket base and the revenues because a lot of people weren't going to those non-directional FCS-type games at the beginning of the year, especially down south where it's, you know, 100 degrees in the shade. And, you know, if you're going to win 50 to nothing, I can watch it on TV now. Right. And, you know, being air conditioning and whatever. But, you know, our game, you win both ways. Number one, we give you the opportunity to come to the game. You're obviously in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which is a first-class fan-friendly uh, facility. But secondly, if you can't come to the game, you can watch it on TV. So it's a win-win for the fan. It does sound – we don't dance on people's graves, but I, I will say the Cowboy Classic doesn't look like it's got much life right now. Um, the opening kickoff game that's played in Dallas, the Copycat Classic, if you want to call it that. My words, not yours. But, uh, you know, no matchup this year in Dallas, uh, no matchup on the horizon. The, the neutral site matchup that copied you, what, 13 years ago? Why do you think they weren't necessarily able to, to get things on the schedule? Why do you think they've they've kind of struggled? Is it because of Allegiant Stadium and just that there are other opportunities that are out there and they haven't been able to maintain? Yeah, that's a great question, Connor. I think we've, you know, we're in college sports. I mean, that's what we're all about. You know, the Cowboys who schedule that game, you know, they're in the NFL. Um, they they had, do have some games there. I mean, Arkansas, Texas A&M is being played later in the season. Sure. Um, they did last year. They had to go buy a game from Kansas State against Stanford to move it there. Uh, and they don't, as you said, they don't have a game this year. I don't think they have a game scheduled for next year either. So uh, I don't know if they're strategically not not in that business anymore, so to speak, or they just haven't been able to arrange a game or not, but, uh, you know, these games aren't easy. It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's difficult. You gotta, you know, I spent a lot of time looking at coaches contracts, looking at recruiting rankings, uh, getting out and meeting, whether it's media days or during the season or at our, at our, you know, peach bowl challenge golf tournament. Um, you know, you gotta work it. You gotta challenge yourself to talk to a lot of coaches and ADs and we've done that. And again, we've been, um, the beneficiary of having games through 2025. I rarely ask about games that are three years away, but we talked about it before. Virginia Tech, South Carolina, that game in 2025 was announced about a month after Shane Beamer was hired at South Carolina. That storyline kind of writes itself. Did, did you set that one up immediately after Beamer was hired? And if so, I'm guessing he was somebody that you had contacted to be able to kind of work through the potential hurdles of that game, right? Yeah, you're giving me too much credit. Um, <laughs> it's like Dan Lanning. I can't take credit for that against Georgia in his first game. Um, you know, Ray Tanner and I went to school at North Carolina State together. 
he was a baseball player. I played basketball and then we both coached. He coached baseball and I coached basketball at NC State after we graduated. So we were good friends and we've been trying for years to try and get South Carolina, you know, ever since Steve Spurrier, when they played over here against Florida State in our Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl game. And it just has never worked out. Obviously, they have Clemson, um, you know, home and away. So the years they have Clemson home, there's some opportunities to do something. But then again, not a lot of people wanted to schedule really two tough games plus a tough SEC schedule, right? So um, it just worked out where 25 made sense. And then right after that, Shane, who's a good friend, and Frank, who's a good friend, uh, it just made sense, uh, you know, with Virginia Tech and, and with Babcock as well. So the, the dad-son Beamer ball uh, kickoff game, yeah. if that's going to be the title sponsor of that game. Yeah, that that makes a, a whole lot of sense, and I, I'm sure that that will be. I mean, assuming that Shane Beamer is still there, which nobody's guaranteed five years in the SEC. That's the way this thing works. That one will be uh, worth the price of admission. No doubt about it. Have you given any thought to my idea that I threw at you in December about using NIL to do like bowl incentives to have some sort of prize package for winning team gets X amount of dollars even losing team gets X amount of dollars to be able to split that up. Has there been any sort of conversation related to that as we talk about, you know, these non-playoff bowls and how to maintain that, that sort of relevance? Yeah, I think as NIL develops, I think the schools will probably include the bowls in the NIL deals. Um, you know, I was called last year and, you know, by some of the media to say, hey, you know, why aren't you paying Pickett and Kenneth Walker, who opted out of the game, $50,000 to play in your Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl? And very honestly, you know, when Kenny Pickett and Kenneth Walker get a number one draft card from the NFL after the conference championship games, you know, that's worth 20 to $30 million guaranteed as a first-round draft pick in the NFL now. So, you know, $50,000 isn't going to make a lot of money. Fair. Uh, make a lot of sense when the kind of money you're talking about is 20 to 30 million. And why are you going to risk that? So, um, you know, I would hope in the future, uh, and I really believe this needs to happen, frankly, with playoffs, if they, they move to an expanded playoff, which, you know, I think everybody believes they, they probably will, but if they do move to a 12 team playoff, you know, there should be some dialogue with the NFL who really doesn't contribute anything to college football. And they should come with a draft card for number one picks with an insurance policy to let, you know, those players play because frankly, everybody's hurt at the end of the year. Yeah. And if you're going to have to play four games to win a championship and you're going to have to play them week to week to week, you know, the easiest way to get hurt is when you're hurt. And when you're playing against tough competition, you know, you better you better have some insurance policies there, I think, for the kids um, because their agents, their parents, you know, are going to get involved. And, you know, back when I played, obviously, there wasn't that kind of money. But now when you're talking the type of money they're talking, that's a tough decision for people. And if there's some sort of union that develops – there are student athletes that are being treated as employees and maybe those union opportunities could have that back end on the insurance policy and all those different things could be kind of connected in this new era that we're moving into. Uh, last one for you. 
I always love to talk dream matchups with you. Uh, the possibility of them being put on the table. I got a few for you and I'll base the likelihood on that. Let me grab my pen. <laughs> okay. I got it. All right, we're good to go. Uh, Notre Dame LSU in 2028. Okay. LSU, one of those teams that has not loaded up on the future non-conference schedule yet. Of course, the world needs Brian Kelly against his former team. I know that's a little bit distant. You can't necessarily like assume it. anything, but that will makes that one makes a lot of sense. Um, and both teams are free Labor Day weekend. I made sure to check that out as well. Nebraska Clemson, twenty twenty nine, little old school, little new school. Nebraska fans travel everywhere. Turn on opening weekend and watch them when they're playing in Dublin. They'll be there. They're going to be there, ready to go. They'll go to Atlanta for a game like that, especially playing against a, a fun non-conference matchup like Clemson. Um, and then Clemson fans, obviously, you know, working with Clemson in the past, that kind of sells itself. So those are the two kind of basic ones. This one's a little bit more nuanced for you, and I want you to hear me out. If they somehow don't end up playing each other annually with the new SEC scheduling, Texas, Texas A&M. Throw out the need for that one to be local. Do it before the Cowboy Classic comes back to life. Reach out to Chris Del Conte and Ross Bjork after you get off this call and say, fellas, here's what we got to do. We, in order for the, the good of college football, we need to put a contingency plan in place if you aren't playing in a specific year. I'll buy out whatever sort of contract you need with a group of five, an FCS school. If you're overbooked, let's make this happen. It would be fascinating to, to watch a matchup like that or some of these matchups that people are talking about losing certain matchups with realignment and you being the guy that kind of says, hey, let's step in and make this happen. We saw Wake Forest, North Carolina. They played a non-conference game, even though they're both in the ACC because they didn't play each other enough. Let's make these things type. Let's make these type of things happen in neutral site games. So what are your thoughts on all those? Well, the first two, I really like the idea. Um, so I may have to hire you. To see if you could pull those off. Available, yes. The third one, I think that uh, I would get shot to even <laughs> think that I could pull those two teams out of Texas. Um, I think the governor, uh, probably the Bushes, everybody would come after me. But I think they'll probably, Greg Sankey's one step ahead of you and I and probably will make sure that Texas and Texas A&M are playing each other each every year. And, you know, You'd like to think they could do a home and home, but uh, if I was Jerry Jones, I'd make sure I'd step in and see if I can get that one in uh, Arlington. Um, the one I, I have done some homework on just to, you know, brainstorm and, you know, looking at schedules and everything is, you know, with Georgia playing at Oklahoma in 23 and in Oklahoma coming back to Georgia in 30 or 31, you know, that's probably not going to happen. Um so, you know, I've, I've presented to uh, Georgia and to Oklahoma, hey, just come to Atlanta. We'll split this uh, the thing in half, 50-50. Perfect. And I'll give you a big payout. You both can go home, you know, with a nice payout, with uh, a, a deal that makes sense, you know, because the, the later half of that probably is not going to happen. Um, you know, it's tough on Oklahoma because they already play a neutral game and in Dallas. Um, so Joe's probably going to find up, wind up finding someone to, to do a home game, you know, if that doesn't happen. Um, but, you know, I'm looking at the expansion and there's a couple other instances where, you know, you could possibly make something happen if, you know, depending on where the CFP expansion goes, 
depending on if conferences, you know, are done expanding. Yeah. Uh, depending on where they go scheduling wise. Um, so, you know, there's, there's three big factors that you kind of have to wait almost to look at before you can schedule going forward. So, you know, we're on top of it. We want to stay in that business. It is getting harder. I will tell you, Connor, it's getting more difficult because, you know, people have scheduled out so far and done big home and homes, which I agree with. And I understand it makes all the sense in the world. Um, but there is also a place I think for a, a great way to start the season with a big kickoff game like Gar. So hopefully we can continue moving forward. Absolutely. Love it. Gary, this has been great as usual. Always appreciate the time. Looking forward to being up there in a few weeks. Yeah, we look forward to hosting you, Connor. Thanks so much for having us. How about this one? I call it bold and bright. More like belongs in the trash. <laughs> Sorry, I must have missed that one. Bold and brash Heisman edition. We know the golden rule on Saturday Down South podcast. Friends don't let friends bet on preseason Heisman favorites. Trademark pending. I do love a Heisman future. The idea of a Heisman future is great. Think about this. Think about it. I'm not, I'm not a gambling man. Gamble responsibly, you know, the whole deal. But if you just set at the start of every college football season, I'm going to find someone who's 30 to one or worse and let it fall kind of wherever you want. You can do that for like 30 years and hit once and come out even, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just if you're doing 30 to one guys every single time. Of course, right. the math is right on that. Like the one time you would hit it would be unbelievable. Right. It would just be incredible. The people who had the Joe Burrow Heisman Futures 2019, they're going to tell that story forever, man. That one guy had the two separate futures. He bet $500 and he bet $100. And he somehow got 1,000 to one on that because he walked away with 600 grand, which is just incredible to think about. Extreme, mm-hmm. of course. But let's let's just say you're 30 years old, right? Right in between our two ages here. Put down a $10 bet every year until you're 60. You're going to hit once, I would think. And if you don't, think about all the entertainment that you would have just to be able to have a guy for 30 seasons of watching college football, and you'll have only paid at the end $300. I don't know what that's going to look like with inflation. I'm not, that's not what I'm here to predict. Mm -hmm. But if 30 to one sounds like a long shot, you're hearing me say that and thinking, ah, trying to catch lightning in a bottle with that. I don't really think that that's the case at all because since 2009, seven of the 13 winners had preseason odds of 30 to one or worse this year, 30 to one starts with Will Anderson. That's, that's what it is on FanDuel. Okay. That's not the case necessarily everywhere, but that's what I looked up. The only guys that 30 to one would exclude in our mantra friends. Don't let friends bet on preseason. Heisman favorites is Bryce young, CJ Stroud, Caleb Williams, DJ Uyunglele which is the most set money on fire bet that one can make. And we said that, to be clear, before the last season. We said that was a bad bet before the last season, and now you are back with a bad season under your belt. Do not do that. <laughs> Still bad. Still horrible. Don't do yep. it. Getting 2-1 to one for Stroud or 4-1 to one for Young, that's not a fun bet. A fun mm-hmm. bet's going way beyond that because even with Bryce Young last year, he wasn't preseason top two in terms of the odds, which means in the last 13 years – Marcus Mariota is still the only preseason top two guy in the odds to win the award. Quinn Ewers, 50 to one. That's Ooh. a fun bet. That's mm-hmm. a really fun bet. And if you're thinking you have to be a team playing in the college football playoff, 
remember this. We saw three of the last 11 winners fail to play in a conference championship game. So just something to keep in mind. You can still put up video game numbers in the internet age. You can still make viral plays and win the award. It helps to win a conference title. Of course it does. There's no doubt about it, especially the week leading up to it. Be able to have a big time day. Pull a Kyler Murray, steal it from Tua Tungvaluwa like you did in 2018. More power to you. Mm-hmm. But just something to keep in mind. Have you ever placed a Heisman future, Will? Um, I have not. I just want to say really quick, do you know what we call the lottery in Louisiana? <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those things that I've never, we've known each other for how many years now? Seven years now. And I've never heard, but I can't wait to find out. Agent estate planning. <laughs> say what now? Agent estate planning. You know, how like when someone has a will and it like divvies up with their assets. It's a joke about the lottery. It's like Cajun estate because everybody goes to the gas station by scratch offs. Right. And so that's what uh 30 to one Heisman futures feels like just a little bit of Cajun estate planning. You know, you go, yeah. you you throw one out every year and we, we've done the math for you. It works out, you know, as long as you hit eventually. And imagine the Cajun who hit on the Joe Burrow bet. You know, I'm sure there are lots that were through the state of Louisiana that was just a one LSU player a year. So I'm sure lots of people are sitting pretty. So that's, that's true to true dear to my heart. I love that. I'm going to steal that. Cajun estate planning. Yes. Heisman futures. Two of the same. Mm-hmm. But in this scenario, you just bet it once. You bet yep. it once a year. But it's a strategy. It. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Every year you pick your guy and eventually you're right. It'll come up. It'll come up heads. By September, that's a sunk cost. Right. <laughs> you're, yeah. If you throw a, a, a 20 or on that, you know what I'm saying? That's the cost of a couple of drinks at the stadium. So 10 bucks is two gallons of gas. Two and a half. Coming down. Prices are coming down. Mm -hmm. I hope they are. They better stay down. (laughs) Right. All right. Let's get to the Facebook group. We've got a lot of good responses. I basically just asked, hey, who do you like to win the Heisman Trophy? And I said it could be anyone, even Bryce Young, because that would be bold. Repeating as a Heisman Trophy, darn near impossible to do. I -hmm. think that'd still be considered bold, even though he's number two. He is part of our Friends Don't Let Friends bet on preseason Heisman favorites mantra, but still, nonetheless, Jeff Jensen says, not so bold, but CJ Stroud, he has an easy schedule and he's uh, propped up to have a Troy Smith type of season where it's decided before the bowl games. Hmm. I understand the comp. Troy Smith didn't deserve the Heisman, 100%. And you look back and it looks even worse, to be clear. I it looks what, really bad. I was like 12, so I don't know what y'all were talking about back then, but now it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so we did this subject in uh, Debates Down South. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. We did, and we did it a couple of years ago, and we realized that was kind of the tipping point, though, for this lifetime achievement award that the Heisman right. Trophy was. And then we see T- Tebow win in two thousand seven, and all of a sudden we're actually getting away from this. The Darren McFadden discussion two thousand six, of course, was one that was worth having, and instead, Troy Smith. It, it didn't age well because of the way that it played out, obviously, in the BCS championship. We saw that it sh- probably shouldn't have been his award even before that. I hate playing the results with. Like, you know, because obviously the Heisman's awarded before the national championship and then people play the results afterwards to say, well, this is why this person didn't deserve. It's like, well, that's not actually how it works. But I like playing the results when they line up with my narrative, to be clear. When when they don't, then it's playing the results. But when he gets beaten up by LSU, then awesome. He sucks. Welcome (laughs) welcome to Twitter.com. That is what it is through and through. Um, But so, I I mean, Stroud Stroud put up huge numbers last year. I mean, huge, huge numbers. Way better than Troy Smith. I'll say that. I get it. They're both Ohio State quarterbacks. 
we we question kind of what the schedule is going to look like week in, week out, because if you're one of those people like myself who thinks Notre Dame is going to get rolled week one by Ohio State, you don't necessarily consider their non-conference slate particularly good. And that's a nice chance to be, as Jeff put it, propped up. Mm-hmm. I don't know that CJ Stroud winning sort of um, rights or wrong of last year. It's not like there was a ton of people really banging the drum for him. As high as I am on Ohio State, I've talked about my Ohio State National Championship pick. Mm-hmm. I think Stroud would have a little bit of a tougher time because he's also competing against himself in the same way that Bryce Young is. So that's why that's why I'm not crazy about those odds. But if you're saying that one player, one individual player is going to be the best player in college football, it's bold. That's why I'm talking about him bold and brash. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's do this one from oh boy all right we're gonna have some fun with this trey smith says painful and yet satisfying to say lincoln riley adds another heisman notch to his belt caleb williams leads the trojans to the playoff and wins the heisman trophy made possible by a pretty talented roster and an easy conference which one are they getting a new roster Sorry, that was me. <laughs> they have some really good transfers. I just, people are not taking into account how bare that cover actually was at USC. That's all I'm saying. Exactly my point. Exactly my point. And when they get to those physical teams, Utah, who <laughs> just push them around and Cam Rising just dunks all over Caleb Williams. Again, that's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, is Caleb Williams still competing against Oklahoma quarterbacks as it relates to the Heisman? He, that. I'm trying to get inside the mind of a voter, by the way, still working on that. We're still trying to figure that out. Hopefully we're going to be part of that very exclusive, not so exclusive fraternity this year. We're trying. Is that how voters will consider him? Oh, well, he didn't have the same numbers as Baker. Oh, well, he didn't have the same numbers as Kyler. He didn't necessarily look quite the way that we expect an Oklahoma quarterback to at all these times, even though he's at USC, right? Or will he also be compared to USC quarterbacks of the past? Probably not because we're talking about a different era of college football and the numbers will be, will be skewed in favor of Caleb Williams. But I have a tough time with his path just as somebody who thinks that he's going to have a couple of these tough games. Still need to see what it looks like against quality defenses. The stat that I brought up a million times over and over, people are sick of hearing me say it 6.4 average yards per attempt against starts that came against top 70 defenses last year. That has to improve. Love the pieces. Love Jordan Addison, confirmed good. Mm-hmm. They're going to score a lot of points. Just might be a little bit tougher for him to get that path to the Heisman Trophy this year, although continue the narrative, those second-year guys. There is definitely a narrative for Caleb Williams, a transfer to win the Heisman Trophy, which, you know, it's been a whole three years since that's happened with Joe Burrow. Um, yeah, but I think happen. USC, we haven't really, like, been cognizant and, like um... – I hate to say influential, but like we haven't really lived our adult years in a world where like USC is actually like really nationally relevant because you're right. I mean, you go back to the, all the Heisman's they won almost at the like back to back to back to back in the early two thousands. And it was like, I just, I'm trying to put myself in that mind of like, you know, cause, cause I remember hearing with, you know, Toby Gerhardt and with um, Christian McCaffrey, you know, like all the voters are asleep by the time they play. Like, but it's just so weird to think about is that, a lack of USC being good or have we as a society kind of moved away from the pack, you know, was the pack 10 back then, the pack 12. Now it's fascinating because we'll actually get a real case study in 
the old the classic USC bias, you know, with the AP title back in 03, all that different stuff has been they haven't even gotten themselves in a position to be uh to benefit from it, you know? Last Pac-12 Heisman winner, Marcus Mariota. Mm-hmm. Some are saying Christian McCaffrey should have been the case in 2015. Ah, you can go both ways on that. Is there too much TV on during the day? So now <laughs> everybody is burnt out to watch games on the West Coast. Uh, only half joking by saying that. It'll be interesting when they're playing big noon games. <laughs> <laughs> and are we still talking about the West Coast bias, even though they're in the Big Ten? I don't know. That's, That's another point. That, yeah, the West Coast bias is going to be a thing of the past where they're Right. Fighting in a cornfield at 11 a.m. <laughs> yeah. Their body clock is like, this is eight in the morning right now. What am I doing? <laughs> I need a coffee. How? <laughs> I don't know why they sound like the gingerbread man from Shrek in but, my mind. But yeah, it's, <laughs> that's it. It's, it's, it's the West Coast. It just kind of, it's just what it does to you, man. It's the sun. Uh, let's go. Okay. Garrett Young. Garrett says, if Will Anderson has a similar season and doesn't even get an invitation to New York, then we need to create a defensive equivalent and call the Heisman what it is, an offensive player award instead of best player overall. Mm-hmm. Manti Teo, most votes ever for an exclusively defensive player. Brian Kelly Excellence is what that's called. Oh, love that spin zone for you. <laughs> love that. Well, I don't want to make fun of the guy because he has a new Netflix documentary coming out. I'm really excited to That's see. That's where this came make from. Fun of him again. So I'll just say, we'll focus on the positives of Bear Titeo. Yeah, we Bear talked about it uh, when he came on and talked about that's that's who we put his Heisman future on. I I don't have a problem putting a, a future on Will Anderson because it is a narrative driven award. That's what we talk about with this. And Will Anderson has a narrative. Snubbed last year. 34 and a half tackles for loss. You're getting to a place where all of a sudden every single person knows your name ahead of time. Will you be scrutinized in the same sort of way? Or will this be this in some ways a revert back to the lifetime achievement thing? Is that possible for him? And we see this correction of recognizing we have so many different metrics to tell us that even if his sack numbers, even if his tackle for loss numbers regress, which I think they will. Again, I'm on record saying I think Dallas Turner is going to have more sacks this year than Will Anderson. Even if that happens, we have enough data to show Will Anderson's still pretty freaking good. And every Mm -hmm. single time he steps onto the field, he covets your attention. Doesn't matter who you're watching. It doesn't matter what point of the game it is. He can take over. Doesn't matter if you're in running only situation. Doesn't matter if you're in passing only situations. He is that good. So I would like to think exactly this point that Garrett brought up of look if he doesn't even at least get an invite i mean there's something clearly wrong with the system if will anderson goes through his college career and never visits new york let's just abolish the defensive player from it let's start Mm -hmm. anew because a player that good should get at least one invite to new york unless he gets hurt obviously then goes to the nfl it's a little bit different but he should have been invited last year so the point stands yeah, I'm glad that I like held all of my hater stock for all these years of like prolific defensive ends where I'm like, ah, you know, Bosa's, Chase Young, whatever. Cause now I have it all saved up for him. I think Will Anderson's so good, dog. Like, not that it's crazy or anything, but like, I'm never the guy who Aiden Hutchinson, whatever. Like, I, these guys, I always think they're good, but I think they get a little bit overrated. And it usually shows in that next season where they get like double teamed every game. I actually just kind of think he's unstoppable. I think that, like, I, now I'm with you guys. I think that they will somehow hold last year against him, even though he didn't get re- rewarded for it. We're all going to be disappointed if we like him. But I think that he's not going to end up with, like, a, you know, five-sack season like some of these guys have. 
Yeah, if you're one of these people that actually has to vote on the Heisman Trophy, again, I can say that I'm on the outside for the time being, hopefully on the inside soon. But mm -hmm. if you're one of these people, watch Will Anderson play football. It's all, it's all I challenge you to do. <laughs> don't look at his sack numbers. Don't tell me about what they were compared to last year. Just watch Will Anderson play football. Watch what it looks like to have an offensive tackle stand in his way and then talk to me about who the best player in the country is. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. Chris Milan says, Will Levis wins it and celebrates by literally taking a bite out of the trophy before he does his speech. Uh, JK, I think Stroud wins it unless uh, Ohio State loses to Michigan again or has another late loss. The Heisman is fully narrative-driven, as Connor often says, and is truly a prisoner of the moment award. You realize, Will, that if Will Levis is in that conversation, I'm just saying if, I'm not saying he's going to be, but if he's in that conversation, the comps to Will Levis and Joe Burrow will be off the freaking charts. I'm preparing. I've told I'm all of you. you right I've now. told all of you. I am unapologetic. The first Joe Burrow versus quarterback X graphic I see, I'm going to hate that guy. I don't care if he's Jaden Daniels. I don't care who he is. But every year we find a way to go. Is Matt Jones Joe Burrow? Is Kyle Trash Joe Burrow? Is Bryce Young Joe? No. In fact, none of them are. So, Here's, and and you know why? <laughs> Summer enrollee had the year one. Limited it's, numbers. I don't know. It's, it's not just summer and rolling. That's what I'm saying here. I know. Limited numbers. Has has that 10-win season year one, right? Mm -hmm. Runs it back year two. You feel more confident about what he has, maybe the deeper weapons around him. And then all of a sudden, you see everything kind of click. Mm -hmm. And you see what he does as a runner as well, which is part of the equation. And you quickly realize this guy who transferred from a Big Ten East school in the middle of his college career. Oh, he threw a Big Ten East, dude. <laughs> Just to really put the little cherry on there. I'm not saying that I'm going to make that comp unless, of course, Will Levis is having this unbelievable, out-of-nowhere type of, type of season. I don't think that's going to happen. But I need to prepare you <laughs> because it'll be there, man. It will. You've upset my cat. Do you hear this? You've heard. Oh she's, she's heard enough of this. All right. <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay. Uh, let's go to this one. Uh, Sarthik Sharma says, a lot of obvious answers so far. Nothing bold and brash. Dang. Tell us how you really feel, man. Uh, here's two that are a little bolder. Heisman comes down to Jackson Smith and Jigba, the Ohio State receiver, versus Will Anderson with a nod going to Smith and Jigba since he isn't splitting catches with Wilson and Olave. Also, Van Dyke, the quarterback from Miami, makes it to New York. It's going to be interesting if we do this, we want something different thing, because I, I thought there was a chance of that in 2021. I, I thought there was going to be a chance that voters kind of got bored and then they said, let's just do something that's out of the ordinary. And that's that would have been the Aiden Hutchinson case, right? Smith and Jigba winning the Heisman with CJ Stroud's throwing with CJ Stroud throwing him passes would be really difficult. Mm -hmm. But why did Devontae win the Heisman instead of Mac Jones? He had moments that year where it wasn't necessarily these unbelievable off-the-charts throws that Mac Jones was making. I'm not diminishing Mac Jones. Don't get it twisted. Mm -hmm. But where you just see what he does in space, you see a teammate go down midseason. That was a big part of why Devontae won it, was because Jalen Waddle goes down and he goes up. And instead of being like, oh, man, he's going to have to every single time, you know, he's going to face an opposing team's best corner. And instead, he just cooks everyone. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And if Smith and Jigba is in a situation like that, maybe it's a mid-season injury to Julian Fleming, to Marvin Harrison Jr., one of these stud receivers that Ohio State has, and all of a sudden his game just takes off into a different level, that would be the thing that could push him over the top and would make it justified to probably have a receiver, at least in that discussion, instead of the quarterback. That's a pronunciation I'm going to need again because I still haven't got there right. Go ahead. Jackson, Jackson, Smith, and Jigba. Jigba. Okay, Jigba. got you. Um, and then who is – it was him and who is his other guy? Marvin Harrison Jr. Son no, of- no, 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 no. I'm talking about he had TBD, right? Oh, and, and saying that, that TBD is is going to make it to, to New York as well. Got you. Yeah, love TBD. Okay. You'd be on board with that as somebody who hasn't beaten A&M. Exactly. Yeah, I think, I think my two guys are TBD and Dylan Gabriel – think that they're Dylan Gabriel's just he's he's behind Smith and Jigba so it's technically off the board but 30 to 1 I think he is last I'm just I'm not saying don't ever give don't ever take gambling advice from me ever I don't recommend saying that but Dylan Gabriel but see that's the funny thing is you might have gone on to something there with the Caleb Williams might actually get the Oklahoma comps whereas Dylan Gabriel he won't but he might slip under the radar because he never played for um for, uh, for Lincoln, Lincoln Riley. Riley, but he will be playing for Levy, which is very close. Interesting. Dylan Gabriel is a fun Heisman bet. Yep. Very fun Heisman bet because you could just flip that on every single week and say to yourself, he's going to light up scoreboards. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt in my mind. Will it be 45 points every week? Probably not, but that offense is going to still be really, really good, I think, this year. Um, speaking of guys who love TVD, Emery. Emery's got TBD as his dark horse, uh, 35 to one on the money, but uh, says money's good. And I expect him to have the opportunity for Heisman moments at Clemson and in December in Charlotte. A Miami Heisman winner would be something that college football purists would say matters. I don't think it does. Sorry. I just don't. When I think of Miami and its heyday, I don't think of Heisman winners. I don't think of Gina Toretta, right? Speaking of guys Ken, who didn't Ken deserve Ken Dorsey, win. come on now. Ken Dorsey, <laughs> coordinator for offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. Still rocking the sleeves. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think he is. I hope he's not. You don't need sleeves, that big guy. Just wear long sleeves if you're going to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't get that. Um, I, I think that he is really interesting, too. And they finally – I mean, they modernized that offense last year with Brett Lashley. I realize it's Josh Gaddis who's taking it over. Josh oh, Gattis, no, not Josh Gaddis. Uh, I know. Well, that's – Bros award winner, yeah. It, it kind of holds me back a little bit because when is when has Josh Gaddis had this, like, unbelievable stud quarterback that he's, you know, elevated to that level? He's had good ground games. You can get into the debate about who was calling plays between he and Mike Loxley back in the day at Alabama. Lord knows mm-hmm. those two had a falling out over that. <laughs> yeah. But, I, I still think like his his strength is is that ground game. I think they're going to lean a lot on Henry Parrish, the the tailback transfer from Ole Miss. They want Kevin Smith, the running backs coach, to be heavily involved in that offense as well. But um, TBD is still going to put up big numbers this year, no doubt about it. If they're if they're better than expected year one, like ten and two, he's one of those guys that could be in that discussion for sure. Yeah, I, I like him a lot. It's fun. I mean, Emory is like one of those guys that's like a, a coin flip. Like he, it's scaring me how much his takes are starting to line up with me because he loves BYU. <laughs> like he, yeah. he, like a lot of these like under the radar things. I'm like, uh oh, I keep finding myself, uh, uh, what's it called? Like believing Emory. So the other, sh- hopefully the other shoe doesn't drop. But yeah, I, I'm drinking the Kool Aid on TVD. I think that he's going to be like, he, he's set up perfectly for like a resurgent year to raise my expectations going to the next year. And then that would be the letdown year. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, let's do a few more of these real quick. Matt Eddy says, mailman Stetson. What are Stetson's Guys, odds? We've talked about up? this. You can't 
have it all. You have 80% of it. Just be happy. Okay, Stetson right now. I'm pulling up the odds on FanDuel. He is... Why am I not finding him? Do they not have him listed under the fourth? Stetson Bennett. He is at plus 10,000 on the Action Network. Oh, my gosh. You want to put in a dollar and be a rich man. Go for it. Gosh, I had to scroll all the way down. He's yeah lined up with Kate Klubnik. Goodness, John Rice Plumley has the same odds to win the Heisman as Stetson Bennett. Come on, what are we doing here? Hey, he won't be starting anyway. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, we've got two Ole Miss quarterbacks that have odds as good or better than Stetson Bennett. Okay, so maybe Stetson Bennett is a little bit underrated. Fine. Okay, you're making me come around to maybe Stetson Bennett isn't this like he needs to be higher than this for sure. Fair. I will say this, Stetson Bennett and Bo Nix having the same preseason Heisman odds just doesn't feel right. Yeah. Beat him twice. Probably going to beat him a third time in the opener. Severely outplayed him. Yeah. No okay. I'm so. actually getting I, – I, I'm getting angry for you, Georgia fans. I started off saying I would do so, but actually I would be disrespected by this specific thing. Anyway. My, my guy Perry, who's listening right now, I think, he's drive, I think he's got a long drive to Ohio. He might have just completed that drive by the time that we're done recording this. Perry's got the, the the Georgia parlay. He's got the Stetson <laughs> future. He's got the Georgia national championship. He's all in. 10,001? Uh, it's, well, I guess, uh, plus 10,000, so it's 1,001. So I wish they did. Money. I wish they did New York invites as, like, a prop, because that would be <laughs> really fun. Yeah. I would love, because, like, you could get with it, like, 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 because I would make that on Will Anderson, because I think he'll get to New York. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, speaking of Georgia, Courtney Harnage says Brock Bowers. Hmm. If a tight end having the year that he just did, which I I can't praise Brock, Brock Bowers enough, still not confirmed if he's a human being. He does have the receding hairline, so he might actually be a human. It's going to be like I am twelve. We're going to find out Brock Bowers is actually thirty one. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure it's receding. I I don't want to. I'm like ninety percent sure it's receding. He might just have one of those hairlines that just is naturally already going. It's been it's been like that since he was twelve, and he's had to answer questions about his thinning hair. But really, that's just the way that it's set up. I think he's got a receding hairline, so he's going to look really old by the time he's done at college. Brock Bowers winning the Heisman Trophy would be the one eighty. It would be the swerve. It is still so incredible to think that the best offensive player on a team that won a national championship was a true freshman tight end who was third on the depth chart coming into the regular season. At least that's what we thought. And for him to be that good, man. And there are people listening to this saying, well, his upside is limited by the tight end production, the way that that they're going to have to use Darnell Washington, who looks like an absolute freak in practice. They're going to have to get Eric Gilbert involved as much as possible. He's back to playing tight end. They're going to disappear. Oscar Delp. <laughs> they have I to. Not. No, I know. I, I'm actually really big on him. They're the only SEC team that had three tight ends that played at least 300 snaps. Mm-hmm. So if you're worried about how are they going to get all these tight ends on the field, Tom Monk is your man. He's going to figure that out. That's that's the way that they're going to present those those matchup um those matchup issues for opposing defenses try and guard one of our tight ends we're going to have two on the field a decent amount of time in those passing situations we're going to let darnell washington be our our run blocking tight end brock bowers can run block as well but you're generally going to have him out there to be able to catch passes for you um that might limit his upside and he would have to at least have a thousand yards 
But if he makes some of these viral plays, like, dude, go back and watch what he did against Georgia Tech. That 85-yard mm-hmm. catch where he just reached, I don't know what his mm-hmm. max speed was, was like 25 miles an hour or something. It's like, who is this guy? This is unbelievable. To And we're going to – I just have said it multiple times. I don't want Brock Bowers to follow the Derek Stingley post-freshman path. Mm-hmm. If nothing else for him, I just want him to be on the field. I know he's been banged up in the offseason. I want him to be healthy. Him in the Heisman Trophy discussion would be so fun to watch. I don't know how likely that is. Um, That's why yeah, it's they, they actually have like a professional coaching staff, so I don't think they'll do that. But I will say this. Here's a very fun little graph for you. Okay, so basically winning the Heisman as a tight end is impossible, but here's the last time it was kind of close. Ken McAfee of Notre Dame came closer. This is from the Heisman website, by the way, and this article is in 2015. I don't think that misses anybody because like Pitts didn't get an invite. Anyway, uh, Ken McAfee of Notre Dame came closer to winning the Heisman. He was a three-time All-American for the Irish and a unanimous pick in 1977 where he caught 54 passes for 797 yards and six touchdowns for a Notre Dame team that won the national title catching 800 yards and six six touchdowns as a tight end in 1977 for a Notre Dame team that won a national title and this man finished third and since then there's not been a guy in the top 10 so I don't want to bust anybody's bubble uh but they just hate tight ends (laughs) it's just tough yeah, I, I think what's asked to do what what tight ends are asked to do at this level mm-hmm. and figuring that out is a, a major challenge. It, it really is. And that's why I kept saying over and over again, Brock Bowers is special, man. It is so fun to watch what he's doing, how he's going to coexist in this offense with all that other all those other tight end options who will hopefully be healthy this year is going to be a great storyline. But if, as long as he's out there, all I should be on him. They absolutely should. Okay, let's end with this one from Corey Puckett, not Kirby Puckett, as I almost said. He just has Spencer Rattler. And then a gif of the Homer Simpson backing into the the bush. (laughs) This is what we want. This is exactly the kind of takes we want. Good job. Narrative-driven award. Spencer Rattler has a narrative. No doubt about that. I have, and I will tease this, a pretty rough start for South Carolina. Their front half of that SEC schedule is brutal. If they get through that with their head above water, they are set up to have a great latter half of the year. And I actually think they'll have a great latter half of the year, even if they don't start off really well in SEC play. The moments that are going to define Spencer Rattler are how does he react when things suck? How does he turn to his teammates and rally the troops? When he throws a pick... Is he getting over there and getting in his wide receiver's face? If he gets, if there's a protection mix up and he gets a clean shot on him on third down and he doesn't have a chance of completing third and eight, does he go over and chew that offensive lineman out? How does he battle back in those moments? Forget Heisman. I mean, like that's part of it. That's what we're talking about here. He does have that narrative, but how does he respond is going to dictate South Carolina's ceiling? Cause I like the weapons. Not crazy about the offensive line. Experience back, not exactly a whole lot to like there. We'll wait and see how that plays out. But if he has the right mindset, then he has the narrative and he has a path. Or he could be benched by midseason and he won't have the path. And he'll self-combust and he'll ruin his last opportunity that he has to be this NFL quarterback in what I think are pretty favorable surroundings with a whole lot of good vibes. But that's where I think this conversation with Rattler and his upside is fascinating. 
those moments. I've been in those moments. I was the guy who who couldn't keep his cool when things weren't going my way. <laughs> I know what that's like to just be mad at the world and just want to take it on and everything. And is Spencer Rattler, is he matured enough to overcome that? He That has to be a resounding yes if we have that Heisman Trophy conversation because South Carolina ain't going 11-1. They're going to have bad moments this year. They're going to have tough moments. But seeing him battle back will be really interesting. And I'm 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 pro Spencer Rattler. The the pendulum has swung the other way, man. That's how far we've come on this thing. It's fun. I've been trying to think of a G reader word I could use for this. So I'm gonna go with jerk face. But it's just very funny that Spencer Rattler has like 10 pros and then the cod column that's just jerk face. And then people are just like the whole equation is just how much of a jerk face is he? Yes. <laughs> but it's it's funny because it's like Okay, like you said, his back's against the wall. He wants to play in the NFL, obviously, as every college football player does. If they Same. don't say that, they're like, yeah, right? Like, hey, if they came a call, if the Bucks called me asking for a guard today, buddy, I'd be ready. Yep. But point being, like, like, point being, like, uh, like, it's just funny that at this point, this could be seen as kind of a good bet because all everything is leading towards him being successful, but that's how things have been his whole life. So I'm with you. I think there are more, more pros here than ever before in that – Lincoln Riley checked out as we saw imploded mentally, like left, like left OU on red, basically. Obviously, there's a little bit of a structure um in South Carolina, you know, with the guys that they have there. So I don't know, maybe, maybe that professionalism will help him. And and I think that this is actually looking like a decently fun, like smart bet on Rattler, just because the only negative is jerk face. Yeah. 80 to one on those odds. By the way, I said a thousand to one earlier. I think I meant a hundred to one. I think I got my zeros mixed up. I had a couple of extra zeros, but Rattler is 80 to one to win the Heisman. Yeah. I mean, he's between two Clemson quarterbacks, neither of which you should bet on. So to be honest, there's much dumber things you could do with your money than those Spencer Rattler. Buddy, Spencer, Spencer Rattler is behind a Wisconsin running back. No disrespect to Braylon Allen. If Melvin Gordon couldn't win the Heisman, do you really think that's going to happen? People just forgot Jonathan Taylor was good. He just kept doing the same thing at the NFL. And people were like, ah, same Dude. thing with Derek Henry. They were just like, Oh, this guy's good, huh? Speaking of, Jonathan <laughs> Taylor is an all-time how the hell did he not get to a New York guy in the mm-hmm. history of college football. He's yep. He would be one of the nominees for the decade Heisman thing that I made up a few mm-hmm. years back that would give a chance to give a Heisman trophy to somebody who was it, like a lifetime achievement award, the guy mm-hmm. that never quite got over the hump. Deshaun Watson would probably be the most likely guy for the 2010s. But I like being able to do that. I think I did it for like four decades back that mm-hmm. it for the 80s as well. Hey, give it to this tight end. He played in Notre Dame. He seemed, yeah. I feel like he's robbed knowing absolutely nothing while getting to this. Let's prematurely give the the decade Heisman to Brock Bowers. Yes, there we go. Yeah, we, we're betting on potential here with Brock Bowers. So surely this will go our way. We're just going to give it to tight ends every single year. That would be a great, like we joked about like the guy riding in Vandy. It would be great if you became a Heisman voter or just rode in a tight end every single year. And they were just like, who's voting for tight end? Yeah. What's happening? Mackey Award just sends me a cease and desist. <laughs> this is our this is our gimmick, buddy. You got to get yeah. out of here. All right, we got we to gotta take this off the air. We can't have this on here. Well, let's close with some lad of the week. You've got one, a familiar one. Yes, we talked about him a little bit. And like you said, I'll keep it short. Uh, Mark Stoops, I feel like I kept trying to find other guys and I just kept coming back to Mark Stoops. You know, Mark Stoops, we always talk about the tenets of being a lad. You know, he handled his business. He was out there doing whatever he was doing and running a practice and got some chirping birds in his ear from Twitter.com. Immediately opened up the bird app and just started quote tweeting. And buddy, if he's not a man after my own heart, you know, he stood <laughs> on his work, 
stood on his work, right? And then immediately turned around and said, how about you, buddy? And I love that. He's a guy who's been described as humble, but a little bit bristly. He's a guy who you, you know, he's a foxhole guy. And if you're not on his side, you know, it's, it's you're on the other side. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, he used this week and something that could have been negative and spun it into a positive, talked about his program, talking about these young men, talking about the direction in life. And like he kept saying, you know, if you're not with us, you're against us. So he distributed all the qualities of a lot of the week. We just got his own segment. If you didn't see the clip that went viral from Stoops at ICC Media Days with Marty McGee talking about an unnamed coach potentially in the SEC, it looked like he took a little bit of a dig talking about changing the climate versus changing the culture. It looked like he took a little bit of a dig at Shane Beamer. Mm-hmm. If Stoops doesn't show up to that South Carolina game, rain or shine, day or night, wearing sunglasses, <laughs> he's not the man we think he is. Give him a call. Because just say, put it in. Be like, hey, buddy, gotta be looking for those shades. Anyway, keep the shades on. Future so bright. Um, I have my neighbor Jerry. I'm gonna tease it because I'm gonna talk more <laughs> in depth about it. Okay. Next week, I'm gonna talk. Uh, figuring out, we're gonna talk car horror stories. Oh yeah. Your boy went through it on Wednesday. Had a long day, but my neighbor Jerry is a saint of a human being. Mm-hmm. I said before, I think he's the perfect neighbor, and I'll I'll explain why next week. That's. I guess that's a really bad way to say I'm going to talk about this later, but he is prematurely loud of the week for me. (laughs) Just take my word for it and it'll all pertain to what we talk about and figuring it out. Cool. East crystal ball next week. Chris Doring is going to join us as well. Going to have to ask him about a certain prediction he made about those Kentucky wildcats. Just say he's a little bit high, a little bit high on the cats. Um, But yeah, looking forward to that. Love talking to CD as always. I want to say thank you to everyone who listens to the show. We had a record number of listens on Tuesday, uh, record number of listens last month in July. <laughs> Football's not even <laughs> happening yet. We're already setting records. We're on pace for a record-setting month once again. It, mm-hmm. Just if I don't say it enough, it, it really means a lot that people have stuck with us in in these leaner months. And now that the season's starting back up, I am so, so excited for what we've got ahead. Tell somebody that you know, hey, subscribe to Saturday Down South Podcast. You want great college football content? That is the place to go. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe. Tell somebody else to subscribe. Tell somebody else to tell somebody else to subscribe. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name red on air with figuring out or bold and brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.